0: Hey, Ryan here, does your company have a commercial or industrial IoT project coming down the pipe? Reach out to Vary and let our world-class specialists in hardware, software, data science, and design bring it to life.
1: We thought we want to spend the time and the effort to create the modules in order for our robots to go out there and work, but then in the bigger picture to be able to empower a bigger, better robotics industry for our future.
0: You're listening to Over the Air, IoT Connected Devices and The Journey, brought to you by Veri. In each episode, we have sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started. Welcome back to Over the Air, IoT-Connected Devices and the Journey. My name is Ryan Prosser, CEO of Veri, and today we're joined by Afshin Deust, CEO of Advanced Intelligent Systems. We're going to be talking about robotics, modularity, and the future. Afshin, thanks for being on the show.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having me on the show, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Great. So for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about your background and advanced intelligence systems. And I'm going to be asking a bunch of follow-ups about your background. I think it's been pretty fascinating, but give us a little overview so far.
1: I appreciate it. Um, So my background, uh, I usually don't talk much about myself, but uh, since you asked, I uh, started in microbiology and I am at heart a business junkie or an entrepreneur, however you wish to name it. Uh, I've been involved in many different businesses, both on a corporate side and a private side. And I have uh, been involved in sales, in technology, in real estate, in finance. I've been in banking and I have sat on a few different boards. I currently teach business at a couple of different universities I sit on numerous different boards. I have been the CEO of Advanced Intelligence Systems since five years ago, and uh, I've had a hell of a ride doing it.
0: So for those who don't have your LinkedIn right in front of them, Afshin is uh, currently pursuing a PhD. He's an instructor at a few universities and CEO of a company. Is this a path that you would recommend for others? It feels like this leaves very little time for sleep.
1: Well, I've enjoyed it very much, but then I don't get a whole lot of sleep and I don't mind it. So I concur. Uh, it's, it's a packed lifestyle, but um, it drives me forward. Uh, I love every minute of it and I wouldn't change it for anything else. And I would highly recommend it to everyone if they get to enjoy it.
0: Tell, tell us a little bit about um, AIS. So w- you guys are in the robot space. Like, w- What can you tell uh, folks out there that aren't familiar?
1: Uh, AIS is a robotics company with a vision to have a practical robot for every task. Now, it doesn't mean we want to go out there and create a million different kinds of robots, which is not feasible. But we want to be able to empower other companies in order to create an ecosystem where a practical robot can be created for every task. The way we would accomplish that is by using our proprietary library of hardware and software modules in order to reduce the development time and development cost of creating new robots significantly and to make robotics scalable.
0: One of the things, so this idea of modularity is near and dear to my heart. We we talk about this often with guests. You 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 look at like the big tech firms on the consumer side, and one of the things you don't see at all is modularity. You know, so like yes. a, a phone is a, it, you know works for a period of time and then it doesn't, and very little in it can be upgraded uh, or like reused in any way, at least not by the end user consumer. A Sonos speaker is totally dead to you at the end of that Sono speaker's life and its landfill.
1: Of course. What,
0: what do you think is, like, it, it sounds like your vision for robotics is quite different, highly modular. Um, that's something we hear a lot with, like, more business-to-business companies. Why do you think that's not something that's as shared on the consumer side?
1: Well, um, you know, when you look at modularity, you have a longer development time. Uh, when you want to create one product that's modular. So it defies the purpose of having a lean startup and a lean product where you spend the least amount of money in developing it and you get it to profit as soon as possible. But once you start creating things that are modular, then the second or the third product you want to develop, you have significant upside to it because it reduces your development time and cost by quite a bit. So the reason we went the modular way and the reason a lot of people don't go the modular way is because it takes a lot more to create a product that's modular. And, uh, you know, on the long run, it helps you. In the short run, it hurts you. But because of that bigger vision that we have to have a practical robot for every task and to empower other robotic companies to be able to not recreate uh, the wheel from scratch. We thought we want to spend the time and the effort to create the modules in order for our robots to go out there and work, but then in the bigger picture to be able to empower a bigger, better robotics industry for our future.
0: So you've built this pretty incredible company in the robotics space, and you've done it, you know, most recently prior to this, you were in academia, you've spent a lot of time in the private sector, bounced back and forth. What, you know, first someone that's looking at tech and say an opportunity is is presented to them either, you know, to be a chief executive officer or in some leadership role, to folks out there right now listening, wondering if the idea or concept or role in the private sector is right for them. What advice would you give to someone that, I I just see these big jumps that you've made and they feel very bold and you've made them into winners. What are some of the hallmarks of like turning a big jump into a winner?
1: Well, uh, I believe first and foremost, for anybody to choose a role or to jump on ship and want to guide it, you have to have the passion and the dedication and the resilience to be able to do it. So you have to look at the journey rather than just the end result and see if you can enjoy the journey. And if you can contribute and create impact, you have to look at your values and you have to look at what drives you day in and day out. Once you choose based on those criteria, then no matter what the outcome, you'll enjoy it, you'll love it, you'll give it your best, you'll learn and you'll grow. Uh, so those are the bases on which you have to make your decision.
0: Uh, one of the things that I know, so for folks getting to know Afshin today the, for, for the very first time, very much in in the mold of a philosopher, you know. So our pre interview was filled with like these magnificent philosophical tidbits. Two things that. That stood out to me, that I know we share one is this idea that there are only win wins or loss loss there very rare is the situation where a person can win and this counterparty loses, and that also and separately we share a view that like competition is something that should be welcome to raise the bar, you know so it creates this motivation for improvement. Can you talk about like as you've built this robotics company, as you've built a technology company, like are are those principles that we would find infused in your corporate culture?
1: Most definitely. Um, Thinking of winning is short-sighted if you do not create a win-win situation. Only win-win situations build relationships and they're sustainable going forward. You can squeeze the heck out of every negotiation But at the end of the day, if somebody leaves it thinking they've left more on the table than they've gained, that relationship is not going to last. And then you're going to have to recreate those kind of relationships more often. So being able to look at everything from two sides, there are two people on the table and they're not fighting against each other. They are joining hands in order to achieve the same goal. So they both need to feel fulfilled at the end of the day. And that is how we look at everything we do. If I have somebody walk up to me today and ask for a job, I will sit them down and tell them, yes, tell me how you can contribute, how much of an impact you can create. Let's put a value on it and let's see how much of that value we can allocate to. you." So I've almost always hired people with more than they expect, but I've given them milestones that would empower them to achieve more than they could imagine they could contribute. And that is how you grow people, you create a culture where everybody believes that if we grow as a team, then everybody will win rather than an individual being able to excel on their own without the team following in their footsteps.
0: Uh, you know, one of the things that I've found most challenging as a business leader is this idea. Of Exactly what you said, you know getting everybody believing in the mission, pu- you know pulling in the same direction, creating win wins that's great and a lot easier when you know exactly what your company is trying to do. Yeah. but often in the early stages of a technology company, you get it wrong, sometimes yeah. like two, three, five, ten times. Can, what were some of the big challenges for you guys? I know that early on, You know, you had kind of an ag tech focus that, you know, I think is no longer as much a focus. Can you talk about that journey of you guys, you going through process of figuring out just exactly where you wanted to land in robotics? You know, what are some of the things you got wrong? And, and like, technically, were there some times you found yourself on the wrong side of impossible, you know, and you needed to be able to solve Mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z to achieve your, to realize your vision. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, uh, I, I love the phrase you used uh, right now, the wrong side of impossible. If you never find yourself on the wrong side of impossible, you're not doing things right. You have to come across those challenges where you think, oh, my God, what am I going to do next? And then you come through those challenges and you achieve something that will stand out and you look at it and you're proud of. So yes, you're right. Every company would have to reinvent themselves at the face of adversity when things are changing and they aren't going their way. But how agile you are and how you can pivot and how you can make things happen will determine how you will succeed in the long run. So we did start as an active company. We are still an active company at heart. But when the COVID hit, it gave us the opportunity to contribute to fighting COVID by taking a robot, looking at our modularity, and trying to invent a robot that would combat COVID. And we were able to do that within 11 weeks of when the mandate was given to the team. And uh, that uh, showed the team that, yes, the modularity is working and we're not just talking about it, but it can actually reduce our development time and development costs significantly. So it was a testament to what we claim. As we kept digging deeper, we realized that the COVID disinfectant robot can also be used in AgTech in order to, uh, to fight mildew in greenhouses. So it uh, was a win-win situation on both fronts for us. You know, it does happen that you have to pivot at times, uh, how you make it to the best of your advantage and how you align it with the bigger vision that you have at hand is what counts.
0: One of the things that we hear a lot from folks that are developing technology solutions for ag tech environments is Having to be able to operate in a place where like GPS might be spotty or connections might be spotty, yeah. was that a, something that you guys had to encounter? And and did that have like are, are there instances where maybe that had like unexpected benefits in other business areas?
1: Uh, yes, you hit on a big chord. Uh, something that we spent a lot of time on. AgTech is a tough environment to develop automation for because plants aren't like a factory environment where you can just go in there and expect exactly what's in front of you and to manipulate uh, things around. So um, that was a challenge. And of course, uh, the connectivity and being in places where GPS might not be as um, reliable, as other places was a challenge, we ended up developing our own non-GPS localization system uh, in order to overcome that. And that's one of our biggest achievements. Uh, But uh, like you mentioned earlier, when you come to a place where you're on the wrong side of impossible, you get to reinvent yourself and you get to solve problems. And that becomes a part of the assets you've developed for the company.
0: Another item I wanted to pick your brain on, so we've had a lot of folks come on the show and talk about this idea of like robots as a service, machines as a service. And I mean, basically, the idea is that the end user, the customer wants the problem solved. Like Zipline makes these drone like planes that deliver vaccines and medical equipment to difficult to reach places in third world countries. And those countries don't care about owning robots. They care about getting vaccines to the end user. And so Zipline really landed on this robotics as a service play. They lease it or there's some. Is that something that you guys are, are utilizing as well? And how, if so, like, has it worked well so far?
1: Yes, very much so. So we are um, an extremely customer centric uh, in with our approach. And so when we talk to uh, our customers and we ask them, what would they want in order to adopt the technology that's uh, coming forth? One of their biggest complaints was that we are made promises and we are asked to invest in this big technology, which is expensive. And if it doesn't work or if the promises are, aren't delivered on them, we are at a loss. And more importantly, that disrupts our workflow. So when we told them, uh, what if we don't ask you for a big initial capital expenditure? And what if you pay for the work that's performed rather than owning a piece of technology that's unpredictable? And then all of a sudden we saw a glow in their eyes. (laughs) They came back to us and said, how would that happen? So uh, we came up with a way to price our products where the customers wouldn't have to come up with big initial capital expenditures in order to uh, get our product. And we put our word uh, behind what we promised. We said, you know what? If it doesn't work, you don't pay. You pay for the work that's being performed. And they loved it. So we said, you know what? If our customers love it and they're willing to adopt it, then that's the approach we're going to take. So all of our products are geared towards uh, being a machine as a service or a robot as a service, where we deploy the product, the customer uh, would uh, take the product in, put it to good use, and they pay us for the amount of work the product performs.
0: It feels like it simplifies the relationship down to selling solutions for less than the cost of the problem. Is that like sort of how you
1: guys view it? That is exactly what it is, and with every solution you sell, I believe it has to have that same approach. You know, the customers have to see the value in what they use, but uh, the mass or the Rasa approach uh, goes a little bit beyond that. It helps create a solution that costs less than the problem, but at the same time, it helps build a relationship because now we are a part of what you do and how you do things. And that relationship has a lot of value because then they come back to us for further solutions for their other problems. It also helps because it helps us as a company because it adds to our enterprise value because now we have more secure and lasting relationships. At the same time, we have recurring revenue rather than just transaction-based ones.
0: Switching gears a little bit, one of the things that you know you mentioned a minute ago was you know you were talking about people and alignment and you know just generally this idea of like pulling in the same direction and and like helping get as much out or more out of people than they thought possible. One of the things that was really inspiring to me in our in our pre-interview was like your view on team, you know, and building the right team. And so I'll start with like a very general question, like how do you think about putting together the right teams? Like what are you looking for? What's important to you?
1: Let's start with that. Okay. Well, you know, I believe you can't ask a fish to climb a tree, right? Same way you right. can't ask an elephant to thread the needle. <laughs> right. So uh, if you're thinking about putting together a team, you would have to look at the team from the point of view of those team members. What's important to them? People want to feel like they're valued. They want to feel like uh, they are actually seen as being a part of the team and that they are empowered to perform. We are all human beings. We could make mistakes, but we are... If we are at the right place, and if we are given the opportunity to perform and be our best, and if we all share the same vision, then we would come out and we would give it 100% of what we have. So, empowering people to be themselves and to contribute, and allowing them to make mistakes and encouraging them to experiment would go far
0: mm-hmm. with
1: having loyalty and commitment from the people around you.
0: When, when you guys were going through some of your product market fit, I'll call it wandering in the woods phase. Every tech company goes yes. through it. You know, you're trying to figure out what, what were, like one of the things I hear a lot from CEOs is it was difficult for me to know what type of team to build until I knew what type of product we were trying to build. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, but, but of course, then you create this chicken and egg issue as you guys were figuring out who you wanted to be when you grew up, how did you think about this is the core team? These are the core skills we're going to need to have no matter what. And you know, what were some areas you said, these are areas where maybe we could find talented uh, partnership opportunities and things like that. Did, did you have a philosophy in the early days there?
1: Uh, we did. Uh, what we looked at was what do we want to accomplish as a company? Do we want to be R&D shop? Do we want to create products? What's the vision? And how does everything fit into that vision? So we started by hiring people who wanted to be their best and who wanted to learn and who wanted to grow with the company. So if you know how to code and we ask you to code in a certain way and we give you the opportunity to learn and do it, then you would appreciate it. But uh, we didn't look at people as being easily replaceable. We thought once you're in, you're a part of the family. And if you need to learn and grow with that family, you're going to have to give it your best to learn and grow with the family. So as we learned ourselves and as we realized what direction we need to take, our team members grew into those spots that needed to be filled. Mm -hmm. And as long as they see that you value them, then they'll give you, their best in order to deliver on what you require?
0: You know, the one of the things that strikes me about your approach, and I said, I mentioned this earlier, like very philosophical. And I find that, you know, wise people have made as many mistakes as unwise people. They just learned more from them. What like? What you have all these tremendous nuggets of knowledge, like what's it, especially with building teams, can you point out an example of like, oh man, here's one I got wrong, you know, like tell me a, a, a story about some scar tissue that you built up the
1: hard way. Uh, you know, uh, when you go to the gym, you always try to work out the strongest muscle because it feels good. But the secret to having a healthier body is to focus on the weaker parts rather than the strengths. So you need to create a balance between the two. And that is somewhere where we went wrong because we had these really smart intellectuals on the team and we allowed them to experiment beyond what was required from us as a company. And we turned around and turned it into a win because... We captured everything they were doing and we filed 82 patents with over a thousand claims to inventions. And it turned out to be a great asset for the company. But now that I think about it, I'm thinking maybe rather than 82, maybe 50 patents would have done. Maybe you should have focused them more on one vertical uh, of uh, knowledge to go forward rather than experiment and keep filing patents. So um, uh, creating a balance, I would say, is something that I've learned. And that balance can work wonders because it can encourage the team to be who they are. But at the same time, it teaches them uh, you have to pull together and be a little bit tighter in certain areas uh, in order to achieve the business goals, too.
0: I ran a, an energy storage company about 10 years ago, focused on lithium, large commercial scale, and we got, we became obsessed with patents. And I'm convinced to this day that it drove our focus off of the, you know, the business of growing a business, you know, and yes. we were we had you know hey let's let's aim to to patent you know this many or file you know uh file this many patents per year whatever the the thing was and it was a made up number you know and we wanted next year's number to be bigger than this year's number and it it had nothing to do, when you really unpacked it it had nothing to do with like building a great technology company that was solving important problems and it and i just missed that at the time so i uh your story resonates well, talk, like, let's talk a little bit about the future. What's next for you guys? So you're like, it, we're sitting here halfway through exactly almost to the day. So for listeners out there, we're recording this in July of 2021. Um, you know, we're sitting here at the halfway point of 2021. What do you, what What's on deck for 22 and beyond for you guys?
1: Well, um, we want to be well-funded. And at the same time, we want to commercialize some of our products And we want to start looking at how we can leverage uh, the intellectual property and also the modules that we've created to help the robotics industry to create that ecosystem. That was our vision from day one. So that is the direction we wish to take. And by the end of this year, we hope to have uh, accomplished quite a bit on that front.
0: Very cool. Well, so as we uh, we move to a wrap for, for today, you know, if folks want to follow up with you after today, how, how can they find you? Is LinkedIn the best way? Do you have another uh, social media? Uh,
1: LinkedIn LinkedIn is the best way. If you Google me, I am extremely transparent. So if you just Google my name, Afshin Doost, that's A-F-S-H-I-N-D-O-U-S-T. You get my contact number, my email, and a bunch of things about me on the internet. So just Google me, reach out if uh, you'd like to have an interesting conversation, uh, you know, if you want to be a part of our team, or if you think we might be able to help you and your robotics company grow faster, better, we are there to help.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my very good friend, Afshin Deuce, CEO of Advanced Intelligence Systems. Afshin, I really appreciate you being on the show today.
1: It's been a pleasure, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to chat more in the future.
0: Absolutely. And for everybody out there, we'll see you guys on the internet. You shouldn't have to worry about IoT projects dragging on or unreliable vendors. You've got enough on your plate. The right team of engineers and project managers can change a pivotal moment for your business into your competitive edge. Very's close-knit crew of ambitious problem solvers, continuous improvers, and curious builders know how to turn your ideas into a reality on time and up to your standards. With a focus on mitigating risk and maximizing opportunity, we'll help you build an IoT solution that you can hang your hat on. Let's bring your IoT idea to life. Learn more at verypossible.com. You've been listening to Over the Air, IoT, Connected Devices, and The Journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. Have a question or an idea for a future episode? Send it to podcast at verypossible.com.
1: See you next time.